Today's episode is sponsored by Doula Trainings International, or DTI. DTI is for the modern doula. It is an educational body and professional community certifying doulas, childbirth educators, and lactation specialists. They believe today's birth workers deserve an accessible and appealing learning environment, one that is positive, inclusive, and provides a quality experience, a movement, a community, a purpose. Beyond their courses, DTI is also an international network of doulas united as advocates for social justice, reproductive justice, and professional growth. Together, they are on a mission to revolutionize the birth world. To find out more and to connect, go to www.doulatrainingsinternational.com. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast-creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. I'm your host, Laurel Gurrier. Today's episode features Barbara Vanais, the founder of Tiny and Brave Holistic Services. She's a doula, a blogger, maternal life coach, and a single mother of one in Austin, Texas. Today, she will be sharing her birth story with us along with her student midwifery journey. So hello, Barbara. Welcome to the show. Peace. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yes, we are so excited. So excited. Uh, Can you first start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Um, so like you said, yes, I'm a single mom, like, like really single mom, like not no support from her dad and no, uh, uh, no mate, no partner, anything. So, um, so we're a single home, uh, me and my daughter, um, living in Austin, Texas and, um, been here since, let me see, January of 2017. Uh, my daughter's name is Glorious Zoel. It's her first name. I'm not going to say the entire name, but her first name is <laughs> Glorious Zoel. And um, she has made me an amazing, better person. And if you could possibly hear in the background because she heard her name. <laughs> um, she's made me such a better person and um, tenacious and hungry um, about the birth world, about becoming a midwife. I'm not perfect. Um, she, you know, motherhood is definitely a sanctifying thing. Mm-hmm. It, um, and it shows me of my shortcomings. Um, but I learned from it because, yeah. you know, she's, she's going to be a reflection of me or she's watching me. So, Absolutely. yeah, that's really it about our family. There's not much to it. Like, yeah. um, I literally, we literally moved here, um, to Texas in 2016 not really having any friends and family here just so I could pursue my dream of becoming a a midwife. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love how you talk about um, just what motherhood does to us. Like it really is, it just opens up so many Mm -hmm. things. And (laughs) as I'm guarded (laughs) and you've got to show affection to your kids or you're just, or you're just being emotionally abusive. So Just the thought of that, I'm like, okay, I got to hug you today. I, you, I love you. <laughs> I got to tell you that you're special. <laughs> you know? And I swear I was going to have a boy. I was like, I'm going to have a boy. So, you know, I could do all the things that I could do and it just be much easier. No, nope, God had other plans. He was like, I am giving you a girl. <laughs> so, and we're going to work on that emotional Right. You know, stagnation that you've got going on. Yes. Ooh, so. they do it to us. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, can you tell us a bit about your pregnancy with um, your daughter? Um, 
I knew her father since I was 18. Um, I'm now 37. Um, I knew her father since I was 18. Um, we were on and off for years. Um, and, and in those years, I've never had a pregnancy scare. Never. And, you know, we, we had different belief systems. And um, so eventually we just decided really we had a walk and talk and a kumbaya moment. And we were just like, yo, this is really not going to work out. Mm-hmm. Like, let's end it. In that process, that's when I found out I was pregnant. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, really? 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 I thought, like, I'm trying to end it. Like, this is not, you know, good, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it wasn't like, it was just a feeling. Like, I've never been pregnant before or anything. And it was just a feel. I was like, yo, like, why? I just feel different. And, I, and then my girl was like, okay, get a pregnancy test. I was like, can you come do it with me? <laughs> and um, I took the pregnancy test and I was pregnant. I took four. Right. To Just to be sure. Like, I was like, I took all the ones that you peed on. And then the ones that were like with the lines, I had three lines and the one that was electronic that said you was pregnant. And I was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Shit. If the electronic one says I'm pregnant, I must be pregnant. So, um, and then so I picked up the phone and... um I called him and told him, and it wasn't welcomed with joy or anything. It was welcomed with, so what are you going to do? Like, so someone I knew since I was, again, I was 18. Yeah. Um, And it was welcomed with, but you don't want to be with me. So how are you going to, like, keep the baby? Like, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Like, and... I'm not dogmatic with my faith. Um, I do uh, claim to be a Christian. Um, So I was wrestling a lot with just um, either keeping her or having an abortion. And I would go back and forth. Um, And at the time, depression set in. Um, I was alone during my entire pregnancy Mm -hmm. um, in terms of he didn't attend any of the... um, prenatal visits, didn't check in with me, none of that. Like, it was real, like, I would try to extend the olive leaf. Yeah. And really try the olive branch and just, like, really try to include him and all this stuff. Wasn't even there for the gender reveal. Like, none of it. So I was literally alone. I mean, I did have community, but it's just not the same when, you know, you desire something different for yourself. Like, You have to understand, like, I I came from a broken home as well. Like, you know, I did grow up some part of my life with both my parents, mm-hmm. um, but they eventually separated. Um, and, you know, I vowed to myself, like, you know, my mom had a, my sister before me, before my, mo- my mom and dad met, you know, and just vowed to myself, like, I will never be a single parent. I will never, like, vowing, you know how you vow to yourself yeah. things that you wouldn't want to become that your parents did so yep. bad. Yep. You know, so it's just like, I'm never, this is never going to happen to me. I'm not going to do this. And look at me, I'm in the same situation. Like, you know, um, 
it wasn't until like I did get pregnant, I realized how toxic our relationship was over the years. Um, you know, even vowing that I would never be in an abusive relationship because my mom was abused like for several years physically. But I myself was in an abusive relationship that was verbally and mentally um, abusive, mm -hmm. you know? So I was still in the same path, even though I was right, trying so right. hard not to. Yeah. Um, so it was real depressive. Um, community tried to come around me. My church community tried to come around me and, and support me, but I was a total bitch. <laughs> they were like, yo, like, we're trying to help you. And I'm like, nah, like, I don't want nobody, like, if you ask them, they'd be like, yes, she was a bitch. Like, <laughs> they, they like, but at the same time, you want the support. So they're right, like, yo, right. we know you want support. Why are you, like, pushing us away? So it was real hard. Um, luckily, at the time, I was living with a roommate because I was living in Boston at the time. And she would just, like, literally just, you know, um, crack open the door and just I was alive and just made sure I ate and she was like, are you okay? You need to get up off the bed. You stink. So it took uh, my community coming around me. And then again, like I said, my roommate at the time, she would just check up on me and make sure I was okay. She was real understanding because she had a um, very difficult um, pregnancy as well and stuff like that in early part of her motherhood. So she was real compassionate and understanding even when I was just like a grumpy little pregnant woman. Yeah. Um, eventually, I, I, I was a nomad. So eventually, um, my community in Philadelphia reached out and was like, you need to come back home. Like, come back home. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, but a big part of me, my heart is in Philadelphia. I love that city. So my community there told me to come back home. I moved in with a family at the time. And, um, you know, they had a room for me and, and let me stay with them during my pregnancy. But I was still depressed. Like, I was still going back and forth with, should I have an abortion? Should I keep this baby? I don't believe in abortion. Um, I believe life starts at the moment of conception. Like, so it, like, it was challenging everything that I believed in, um, which was hard. It challenged a lot of the stuff that I believed in my pregnancy of like who I was, what I believed. And um, because I was really wrestling if, if I should keep her or not. Um, or I even, even pondered the thought if I should give her up. Like it was just that, like how am I gonna do this by myself? Not even my parents were really supportive. Like, like in, in, in West Indian culture, mothers don't really prepare you for womanhood. Mm -hmm. They just tell you, oh, you, you don't kiss anybody or you're going to get pregnant. You know, they just, they don't. So my mother really, truly never spoke to me about what it meant to be a woman, mm -hmm. what it meant to uh, be a mother. Um, so I was literally doing this process by myself, like with no preparation or anything like that. Um, you know, but having other people giving me words of encouragement, even when I didn't want to hear it. I was real depressed. I was, I, I'll keep, even keep it, keep it a hundred. I was even drinking during my pregnancy because I didn't like, it was, I think it was me trying to find a way to terminate my pregnancy without really like doing the abortion. Right. right. So trying right. to find some slick way to be like, yo, my baby died. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, yeah. Right. Yeah, I hear you. And um, so 
um, dealing with that. Um, I would, and then when I was living in Philly, they would literally have to come in my room and check on me because I'll be in, I like, I'll be isolated. They really want me to be part of the community, like with their family. And I'd just be in, in my room in the dark, crying. Like it was hard to even like, embrace a hug or anything like that. I'm trying not to cry right now. I'm just thinking about all this. But and you know, on top of that, I still had to like, it, I was reaching like my sixth or seventh month of pregnancy. I still had to look for a job. And like, I still had to plan to, for us to have our own space and apartment. So like, I literally put on some clothes, made sure I put a whole bunch of layers and went to job interviews mm -hmm. because I was all belly. Like you could never really tell if I was pregnant. Like, yeah. so it was just like, I was looking for jobs. I finally found a job, started working as a um, therapeutic support staff in um, Philadelphia. Um, Cause I already, you know, had um, some, some experience in master's levels of a, as a counselor. Yeah. Um, so I was doing that. I got the job and eventually in, on the month of her birthday, I found my apartment. We moved in. Um, yeah, so I was able to get a job at my sixth, seventh month and, um, get an apartment. It wasn't an easy pregnancy. It was a very depressive one. Mm -hmm. Um, but I tried to stay positive. Like I would do things like get her initials. So I painted them. Yeah. Um, like I, like I said, I did the gender reveal party. I did, you know, I would do things here yeah. and there to try to keep me, but girl, I was depressed. Like, yeah. I was extremely depressed. So that, that, that was my pregnancy. Yeah. I yeah. mean, just, I was talking to someone else about this, just like the, the spectrums of being pregnant and the emotions that you go through it. And like, as with many things, we don't talk enough about the not so good parts and that right. there are, there are some struggles sometimes with pregnancy. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. But your, you sharing your experience just like, highlights why community is so freaking important right it's so mm -hmm. important um, it's vital it's it's so important whether you plan didn't plan no matter how your pregnancy came apart or your your journey to parenthood community is so freaking important right. um and and also in understanding like you're not always going to reach out for that community so the fact that like your philly community reached out to you was like hey you need to come home. Right. We got mm -hmm. you. That's just, ugh, gives me chills. Um, so <laughs> thinking about, you know, how pregnancy was for you within that, were you thinking about birth? Like, how are you preparing for that? So um, before that, I was already a doula and okay. um, an aspiring midwife. So okay. I had information already, um, you know, so I honestly... I was like, nope, I want a natural birth. I can't have a home birth, so I'm going to do the birthing center. And at the time, the only birthing center um, that existed in Philadelphia was outside of um, Philadelphia. That mm -hmm. was called now. I think they changed their name to Life Cycle. So I started doing my um, prenatals there um, because my insurance would cover it and stuff like that. So, um, so I had some experience. Um, I wasn't too overly... Um, I guess petrified or mm -hmm. or nervous. If I did get nervous, it was more like her coming into the world. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't like the birth experience itself. Well, I did have some scary moments. Like I think the biggest thing that I was fearful of um, was that it would unearth 
emotions that I didn't want to unearth and that I feel like I would have been undone from and not be able to return back from. Like that was like my biggest fear. And I had to process that through with that with my doula. Like I'm like, mm-hmm. yo, like for some reason I keep thinking this is going to happen and I won't be able to come back from it or focus uh, on my birth experience, which mm-hmm. was, um, I don't know why it came up like that, but that was like my biggest fear. Like yeah. something would surface and I would just be like, I wouldn't be able to come back from it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like some scary movie. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 well, I open something from my subconscious and they would <laughs> forever riddle me with right. fear. Like the right. scarecrow, like from <laughs> Batman. <laughs> <laughs> right. Woo. Okay. Tell us about her birth. What happened was that um, in the beginning, I was, I was having, and I had a couple of friends over and we were just talking and I was just having these brass, you know, what I thought was just brass and hicks. Oh, woo. These brass and hicks. Oof. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And stuff like that. So, but I didn't think anything of it. Like, I was just like, whatever. Okay, cool. So then my, I said goodbye to my friends. I was like, oh, bye. You know, blah, 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 blah. I went to sleep and then I woke up like, woo. Like, I was like, yo, this is not no Braston hits. Like this is like, this was different from all the contractions that I've had. And I was just like, yo, what's going on? So, and so I called my doula at the time, one of my doulas. And I was just like, yo, I'm feeling this contract. Like these are not like, I think I'm going into labor. And she was like, okay, cool. I'm going to start getting ready. You know? So I was just, trying to lay down as much as I can. But I started, when I started moaning, that's when I knew I was like, this is not Rasta Hicks. I was like, mm. like I was just, I knew, like I was just like, woo. So then, you know, I, you know, so people know me, I love house music. So I got my little birth ball. I took my laptop and put some music on it. Every time a contraction came, I would close my eyes and imagine myself dancing to the house music, dancing to the house music because I love house music. And that's like one of the things that is so therapeutic for me. So I would just do that and just do that. And I did that for a bit. Eventually, uh, my doula met me at the house. We called the midwife and she was like, oh, okay, did your water break? And, you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, no, you know, there's some bloody show, but... Not a lot. So we headed to the um, to the birthing center. And at, by the time I got to the birthing center, I was five centimeters, which was good. And my, you know, uh, my other doula got there as well. And uh, I was like, all right, put some Erica Badu on. And I was just, my, my doula at the time, which was um, Janae, and she would just keep me focused. Like, mm-hmm. Erica Badu was playing, and she would look at me in my face, like keep me focused, going through contractions and all that. I had my camera. I was like, I was going through contractions and I would hold my camera trying to fix the settings so someone could take pictures. Yeah. Well, I'm going, like, I got pictures of this, <laughs> like just full blown, like trying to like adjust the camera and I'm going through contractions or whatever. Um, and um, she would just, she would just look at me in a way and it was just like, I would stay focused. Like it was just, she didn't even have to say anything. Like she really didn't say anything. It was just her presence and her eye contact said enough. And then, mm-hmm. and that's the important part about being doulas, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't even have to take you saying anything. Right. It's just right. allowing your 
mother, um, to know that you're present and you're in yep. the, and knowing that you're there, you're going to be there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I'm laboring through, I'm going through, you know, I'm doing it like a pro. They checked me a couple of times and there was a point where they, um, Oh, and then I also had a friend who came in. I was like, I want you to sing worship songs. <laughs> so she sung a couple of some of my favorite worship songs and stuff like that. And that kept me calm. Yeah. Eventually, I just kept, you know, going through the contractions, dealing with the contractions. And then eventually my leg broke. And then, um, but there was a little bit of meconium mm -hmm. at the time. So they were worried about that. Um, so they checked me and it was like, oh, you're fully dilated and stuff like that. But then a fear like just came over me and I was just like, no, I don't want to push. I don't want to push. And like, I was saying things like at the time, I don't know why I was saying that. I was like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Like it just, it came over me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I don't know if that was that fear that I was fearful of happening yeah, to me, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then um, they checked me again. They was like, oh, you're not fully dilated. There's actually a lip, you know. So I still kind of try to rationalize that moment. Is mm -hmm. it Was it because my body knew that I wasn't fully dilated at the time? Or was it just really fear? Mm -hmm. Like, you know? Um, and then in that my cervix was swelling, my throat, you know, a, yeah. a good sign that, you know, your cervix might be swelling. So, so your throat is swelling. So th that was happening at the time. So they had given me, um, what's it called? It's a, it's a, it's a pill that they can insert in your um, cervix to mm -hmm. kind of help with dilation. I think yeah. it's Cervidel. Cervidel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, so they gave it to me the first time. Ooh, girl, that high. I like it was like it like it it was interesting like I don't know like so it was just like an interesting high that just happened it was just like I was between two worlds like I would close my eyes and I would feel like I was in this like gray place and then like I I literally felt like I was in two worlds I would like feel like fall like in a sleep but. Mm -hmm. I was in this dream world where it was gray. Like it was just, and then, but then when a contraction woke up, I was like, whoo, right. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, but it helped. Right. Yeah. But then they were like, well, you know, you're not dilating. There's still the lip there. You're swelling. Do you want to take it again to take the edge off? Cause that's the point to take the edge off. So mm -hmm. they, I was like, let me go for a second one. Cause I really want a natural birth. I don't want to, you know, like I was just like, whoa, I thought it was supposed to take the edge off. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, but it didn't work the second time. So eventually we had to be transferred to a hospital um, in Delaware County, like which is a little outside um, of Philadelphia, not too far. So we went to that hospital. They had to give me um, fluids and antibiotics before they gave me the epidural. Because at that point I was just like, I lost it. They were like, okay, like, you're not, when they told me I wasn't fully dilated, it was like telling a child, we're going to the candy store, but they're not really can't get anything. Yeah. So I like lost it. Like I have focused all the way to nine centimeters. And now you're telling me I'm not like, or, or you told me I was fully dilated. Now I'm not fully dilated. Right. right. Oh, I, I couldn't focus anymore. So when we got to the hospital, I was just like, like, it was weird. Like even I was going through my contractions and I was like 
yelling, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Every time a contraction came, I would get on my knee and bounce. I mm-hmm. bounce as a form of coping through the contraction. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, so I had to get the liquid eventually. You know, they gave me, they gave me that. They gave me the um, epidural. So I was on the bed. And then they um, gave me Pitocin mm-hmm. at the time. I forgot how, how much at the time, but it, did, it wasn't working well with me and the baby at, at first. So, so when they said, when that happened, the nurse was trying to be so kind and so sweet as much as possible. And was like, yeah, we're just, I'm just going to let you know that, you know, if you don't progress or whatever, you know, there might be possible C-section and stuff. And, you know, I had my community there too, people from my church, um, my best friends and stuff like that and stuff. So I was like, okay, um, yeah, that's not happening. Let's pray. (laughs) So we got in a big circle and prayed. And, you know, like, I don't know, like, if, you know, you got church friends, but, you know, they be trying to be so nice with their prayers. Like, and whatever you want, Lord, mm-hmm. as long as the baby and, and, um, and mommy is healthy, if she needs to get a C-section, it's your will. I was in my head like, what? No, <laughs> not I'm what not I asked for. It. Right. <laughs> don't, don't pray like that. Like, no, we're, we're. Listen, I like they were all praying like that. And then when no. it got to me, Lord, I was like, listen, I was like, I don't want no C section. I'm not being arrogant or obnoxious, but I don't want to be cut open. I want my, my baby to come out vaginally. I got real with my prayer. I don't care what anybody like I was just like, I'm not hearing all this. Y'all no, ask and you cute. shall receive. Right. You being you being too cute with these prayers, talking about oh the Lord will. Yes, I understand. <laughs> but I am also a child of the most high. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask, know who my father is. Not in an arrogant way, but listen, right. I want vaginal. I don't want no C section. Right. <laughs> I said what so, I said. It was it was ugly cry prayer. Like I was just like, Mm-mm, nope. <laughs> so then they introduced the pitocin again at ten, mm-hmm. and then so it was going well. It was going well. So I was just chilling, you know, paralyzed and stuff on bed and stuff. And then once I, I was it, everything calmed down, I was always checking on folks. Like it's so weird how us mom, like when we're in pregnancy and. People are supposed to care for us, but we're all still checking in with everybody else. Are you okay? Are yes, you okay? You need anything? You do need anything? <laughs> yeah. Like, they're like, Barbara, like, can you just relax? Like, you're the one that's in labor right now. Like, <sighs> that was just chill. So then um, that happened. And I was like, oh, okay. While I was like, I was like, oh, I think she's coming. Oh, no, it's cool. No, she's not coming. No, no. I feel pressure. She's coming. Like, you need to come check. Like, and I think because of my dual experience, that was the only reason. Like, I was like, oh, no. Yeah. And by the way, can you bring a mirror in and you have some <laughs> mineral oil? Because I don't want my perineum to rip. So I need you to, like, I was really saying all this. I was like, I don't need to rip. I need you to put that mineral oil. And they were like, looking at me like, is she even, right. yup, mm-hmm, come Thank on. You. you don't have olive oil? You got that mineral? Bring it on. Come on, because I don't want to tear so then um so they prepared they had the mirror right there i had a couple of friends to hold my legs so they saw my vajayjay they saw my hey. vagina this they, they were like "Ooh, now we really sisters <laughs> you know so they started that i started pushing and they were like wow you're pushing so well like i'm like hey like i'm doing this <laughs> like she's coming now and there was a point where she was even inching out by herself and they were mm-hmm. telling me to push and i was like no i'm not pushing she, i could see her 
coming out by herself. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to rush this process. Like, and it didn't take long, you know? So, um, so I saw her inching out, but when it came time for, again, for me to push, I pushed her out and I immediately asked for skin to skin, um, you know, and then, um, you know, I just held her. Like, it was just, you know, interesting, you know, I, I did breastfeeding. Um, that was hard. Um, and difficult at, at first during, <laughs> after, um, you know, they cleaned her off and stuff like that, that they did delay clamping, mm-hmm. cord clamping, you know, I asked for my placenta so I could have them encapsulated. Yep. That's, that's also a different story too. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was, I had a great experience. Like at the yeah. end of the day, even though it didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen, I still had a great birth. Like I yeah. still had a good birth. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. Like it wasn't traumatic. It wasn't in any, the only, the only traumatic experience that I really had was that, that moment of like my emotions surfacing mm-hmm. of fear, you know, emotions of fear. Um, but I could only account being able to advocate for myself because of my own doula experience Mm -hmm. and being able to know what to say and what to ask for and how to say it like you know and um and feeling and feeling empowered by that like you know like just knowing what I wanted and not being fearful of that like being able to ask the questions what what are the reasons is my daughter in jeopardy no she's not and and being able to advocate for myself like or even my doula being able to ask questions too like you know um, so I'm just so grateful. Um, yeah. but after that experience that propelled me more to be like, okay, I need to become a midwife. Mm-hmm. I have to become a midwife because <clears throat> no one should be having this experience alone. Like no one, like, I don't care. Like you, you deserve not only a doula, but you deserve a midwife mm-hmm. who will care and advocate and really tell you about what you're going to go through. Yeah. Um, and everything happens for a reason. I wouldn't wish um, anyone being a single parent or going through their birth experiences alone. And I was fortunate enough to have a community that I was surrounded by that came. Um, any, but even that itself felt alone just because how you ideally would want a birth experience. Um, and that made that what, made me push me harder to kind of continue to be a doula and more so wanted to become a midwife. I was like, a woman, no matter what her circumstance is, should not be alone through her birth, birth experience, yeah. especially black women. Um, so after I had my baby, uh, I like got home. That was another experience, the postpartum experience. Well, um, tell us, I mean, like we always ask, what did postpartum look like? Well, how was post- Postpartum was I got home. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with this baby? I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm here by myself. Like, still, my mom hasn't come down. None of that. Like, and again, my community, my church community was the one that, you know, would do like meal plans. Mm -hmm. Like, so people would take rotations of bringing food over or spending the night helping me with breastfeeding, processing, processing through me crying because it was, she wasn't latching on and she was Mm -hmm. just crying and, just, just, um, how you say, what's that, what's that word? Colic, colicky, colicky. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, just wouldn't, you know, just, it was just, it it felt 
it lessened it lessened the sting of feeling alone mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know oh, absolutely. so absolutely so yeah so i had my community they did the meal plans they they came they would check in check up check on me frequently mm -hmm. um so i would say my postpartum was good i did deal with a little um with postpartum blues mm -hmm. um again just because i would beat myself up and just the whole not it being ideally how i wanted it to be in terms yeah. of just this is going to be i'm going to be a single parent just like my mom or yeah. you know or just like my sister or yeah. you know stuff like that so and then I did do the encapsulation. And I'm only saying this because an amazing sister, Aya, who is a midwife in Philadelphia, she did my placenta encapsulation. And it didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. I actually got more angry. Wow. My wow. emotions were like more aggressive. Wow. And she didn't do nothing like extra with it she just did the traditional mm -hmm. chinese encapsulation yeah. like with ginger you know all that stuff yeah and it just i my i was angry i was snappy yeah. and once i stopped taking them i was um i was fine wow. like so that is it, so, so interesting right so it rings true that placenta encapsulation is not for everyone it might work yeah. with one person yeah. And it might, it might not work for the yeah. next person. So for me, yeah. it didn't work. And, but then again, me rationalizing and try to like, um, uh, make sense of it. I thought part of it was because of all the emotions that I was going through my pregnancy was being transferred, was transferred to my placenta. I, you know what I'm saying? So I was, my, that's like where my brain went. Right. Like, and you that's know, what like our body holds, our body holds everything. Mm -hmm. And so was it, you know, that it could have been that fear, the depression that you had during your pregnancy, like all of those things in that. And so, mm -hmm. you, you know, taking it was bringing up things that your body was literally like trying to kind of release. Right. Yeah. All those, all those hormones and toxins. Yeah. And, yeah. So that's what I thought. Oh, wow, that is, right? that is, that I have, I have never heard anyone share that it had that effect for them. Yeah. It, it wasn't. Mm -mm, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and I was a totally different person when I stopped. So yeah. Um and eventually it kicked in. Like, I mean, I still dealt with like my seasonal depression. I still dealt with the mommy blues and postpartum depression. Um, but there was something that just kicked in eventually. And I was just like, yo, I'm a mom and I gotta I gotta do this. Like, even though I'm rolling with the punches and I'm just like taking it one day at a time, I gotta do this. Like I can't like she's here now. Like you yeah. know, I just have to do this. And um and motherhood has been in a roller coaster and up and down. It's been extremely more sanctifying since I moved here in Texas because again, I didn't have I don't have any community here really. Yeah. And um and I was doing an apprenticeship at the time as a student midwife. And there was a point in my student midwifery that um I was feeling off and I couldn't put my finger in it and I would try to do all this different stuff to try to like find my balance. I would like to go through a cleanse. I would try to check my thyroid balance. Like my, yeah. my, um, my preceptors at the time did, you know, check my thyroid balance. That wasn't too off. It was okay. Like I just couldn't, like I was just off and I was just snappy as a mom and, and just like, 
I, I wasn't enjoying, like it, I semi enjoyed motherhood, but I had a lot of times when I was just like really depressed. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, and, and, and just to let me add that I have, a, at this point, when my daughter was two years old, before we left Philadelphia, I finished my master's in counseling. So you're, you're, I'm a mom who has a master's in counseling, who's dealing with, you know, some form of depression of some sort. I can't put her finger on it. Her world just feels like all over the place. To everybody else, she seems like she's put together because she's hustling and she's doing all this. She moved here. You, you, and like, I felt like I was losing it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so at some point, I don't know, I went and, and you know, my mentor had mentioned something about magnesium, right? But I didn't think it was that simple. But I had knowledge already that balance starts balance starts at the gut mm-hmm. like everything emotionally everything mentally is like what we put in our gut how our gut is everything right yeah so and i've always been a huge advocate about that especially like studying dr sabi and all that stuff um but i didn't know like that was really the root so one day i went to my co-op here in austin and i was just like yeah i'm just not like, I think I just need to get magnesium. Like, can you show me something? And I just bought some magnesium. And girl, it saved my life. Uh, that mineral. It's, it's, it's crazy how simple, like, one thing mm-hmm. can... I want to say, you know what? I'll be bold enough to say this for me, not for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Everybody's level of mental health or diagnosis is very yeah. different, Right. So people have different needs. It cured. Girl, I haven't had a depressive episode since I started taking magnesium. That's beautiful. And it's the very mineral that exists in our body that's needed, right? If you don't have magnesium, you, you know, the, the, a magnesium deficiency, you can have headaches, you can have bone pains in your bones, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's also something that can help with your depression. Like, yeah. And it, it, I've been great. I've been able to deal with my daughter. I've been able to go out. I've been able to socialize. I've been, so motherhood has been a 180 since I started that. So that's just a little tidbit of anybody that might be dealing with some depression, but is still maybe popping some magnesium (laughs) might help. Yeah. Like, you know, it may not be that simple, but for me, it has helped like 180. Well, two things that come from that, though, is one, alternatives to the normal care. Like, there's that. You being willing to look outside of the bubble of, I need to do this because everybody else does this to make themselves feel better. Well, everybody's different. And then also the fact that, like, I tell this to everybody, and I know the listeners are probably tired of hearing me say this, but postpartum is forever. And... Mm -hmm. There are like waves in motherhood and, mm-hmm. I, and there are ups and downs. And there are times when you're in a season of, oh, this is great. I'm, being, I'm doing all the crafts. I'm the best mom. We're doing all the things. And there's those times where you're like, I literally want to pull my hair out. Right. I just cannot. This is just too much. Um, right. And understanding that that's okay. And that's part right. of the journey. And it's going to look like that. Not everything is going to be peach king. And that... You know, baby, like everybody's baby boots aren't going to be cured. Some things might trigger other things and just going, mm-hmm. like traveling that route and being okay with that. Right, right, right. But you hit on this a little bit about how your midwifery journey 
started. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like how that's going for you, what that looks like, especially as a woman of color? So I knew I wanted to be a midwife since 2000. I like just to say a little bit of my story. I, it started with a movie called Losing Isaiah, which was Halle Berry. Oh. Yep. Halle Berry. <laughs> she was the infamous, she was the That's, infamous crackhead. Yes. She was the infamous crackhead. She had a baby. She put a baby in the trash. And yes. you know, there was this, there was this white savior of, of an obstetrician social worker that locked eyes with the baby and was just like, I don't take that baby home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and when I saw that role, I was like, obstetrician, social worker, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And then, so I went to check what an obstetrician did. And I was like, oh, that's too much school. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. And then I met this petite lady woman who was smaller than me, had locks down her back at the time. And um, I was at community college at the time. She was like, I'm going to nursing school because I want to be a midwife. I was like, what's a midwife? And she was like, oh, and she explained it to me. And then I was like, let me go check about that in the library. Yeah. Ooh, that's still too much school. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, and at the time, I, at the time being young, 18, I wanted to be actually a filmmaker. I still kind of do. I want to do documentary. But uh, so, uh, so I was just like, uh, I guess I'm not going to do this or whatever. Eventually, um, I finished my undergrad back in New York at Hunter College. And uh, I became a doula there. And then I also met my mentor. The first midwife that I came in contact with was Lamanye um, Sinkyu. She's okay. in Brooklyn, New York. She's mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, New York. She's a midwife. She's a home birth midwife. Um, and um, so I asked her, I was like, um, can I just shadow you? And she was like, sure. And I, I thought she was going to say no. And I was like, what? Like, she was like, yeah, you can come. So I saw my first um, birth with her. It was in a birthing center, which is no longer in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just attended home birth with her. And I was just like, yo, this is what I want to do. This is what yeah. I want to do. At the time, I didn't know the lack of black midwives. Because I was in New York. I'm from New York. Mm-hmm. You see black people everywhere. Mm-hmm. Black people. Yes. <laughs> so I didn't know the realities of just having 2% black midwives or less at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that was an issue. I didn't know that black women were dying. I didn't know, like, I didn't know any of that, you know? But I knew I wanted to be a midwife. Um, I went to another, uh, I, and then, in 2006, I believe, or 2007, I went to um, Senegal with this organization called the African Birth Collective. Mm-hmm. And then um, I assisted some midwives there in Senegal. And that was an ex- amazing experience. I did see my first um, birth, um, death of a, of, of a baby after it was born because I believe the mom at the time um, she, they knew there was something wrong with her, but they were trying to send her away. But we, as Americans, we be trying to act all savior. Like, no, no, leave her here. She's going to birth. We don't care if she's paralyzed because she couldn't walk. She had mm-hmm. um, polio, so she, her legs were paralyzed. But, you know, she pushed, but the baby like, was born very alienish looking. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they knew that. So that's why they were trying to send her away. Yeah, And so that was my first like traumatic birth experience. And I was just still like, but I still want to do this. This is, I still want to become a midwife. So just moving forward, I would just be a doula. 
I would make excuses why I shouldn't be a midwife. <laughs> and it wasn't until I had my daughter that I was just like, okay, there's no more, no more fucking excuses. I got to make this happen. Right. Like, because of my own experience, I have to make this happen. I have to be there yeah. for other, other women. So as the journey started, I started making my research and like doing research. And that's when I was deciding, am I going to do CNM, CPM, or CM? Mm-hmm. And I chose the CPM route. And then from the CPM route, I was like looking at the different states where CPMs were legal. And I was like, out of all these states, the only state that I'm willing to actually go to for CPM is Texas. <laughs> because they're not, you know, so I was just like, you know, at the time I was living in Philadelphia, you know, none of the midwives had the numbers for me to become a midwife, like in a, in a very um, expedient manner, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, um, because in, in Pennsylvania, it's illegal. So it's not illegal and there's not, um, there's not laws against it, but right. there's not right. much laws to support it. Right. So, yeah. Um, That's how it is. So, Ohio. Um, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I chose Texas. I moved here. I was bold. I was just like, I'm just going to move. So I lived in um, Dallas for six months first. And then after my six months, I relocated to Austin. And um, I did my first apprenticeship here with two amazing midwives. Um, Their practice is called Mother Bloom uh, Midwifery here in Austin, Texas. So anybody that are looking for some midwives, Mother Bloom Midwifery (laughs) is amazing. Um, And you would get two midwives for the price of one. So (laughs) I would hit them up. And... They are highly LGBTQIA, yeah, like yes. um, aware because they're actually a married couple. Lesbian. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, so yeah, um, so I did my observations with them, and it's just been an amazing experience. But my barriers that I experienced was that because I was a single mom and I moved to a, a place that I didn't have no community, childcare was tough. Yep. So being able to um, recoup and meet my my preceptors for birth was difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, my health wasn't at the best at the time because I didn't know that I was like I just needed magnesium. fucking magnesium <laughs> <laughs> to be stable. Like yeah. I just I just wasn't stable. I didn't have community. Money wasn't coming in regularly because yeah. I was trying to work jobs that would give me the flexibility right. to be able to be a student, but right. it wasn't paying me enough. So most of my money was going to childcare. And then on top of that, my daughter was being affected by the crazy schedule yep. that in turn, I would have to have teacher parent meeting. And she was only three at the time Yeah, where they were like, yeah, she's having these tantrums. She's acting out in class. And I'm and you know, and to the point that I had to be like, okay, I have to, put a pause on midwifery mm-hmm. um, and, and just have to rethink how I'm going to do this. Um, so that was tough. And then um, just finding in the challenges to try to study all this stuff. Yeah. So yeah. those were my barriers. I've, um, I've been fortunate enough that in my journey, like people come out of nowhere and warn me about, people to avoid, midwives to avoid. Mm -hmm. Like, I think those are God plus my ancestors being like, stay away from that person because they just want free labor. Stay away from this person because 
such and such, such and such and such. So I've been grateful in that part. And yeah. I think overall I've had a good experience. Um, but I have faced barriers in which like I wanted to apply to one program in Dallas. I won't mention it, but that told me straight up they wouldn't accept me because I was a parent and they didn't want to deal with like if your child gets sick and you're at a birth and you can't and there's a birth and you can't come. But the reality is most midwives are parents um. and and single parents at that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you have to backwards. But, yeah, right. But the reality is when they create these spaces, they don't create these spaces no. with no. us in mind. No. Never. They don't. Never. Never. They don't. Never. So and then get mad when we create spaces for us. And then talking about, oh, girl, listen, <laughs> I, I, listen, Texas is a Texas is an interesting place, right? Mm-hmm. I remember when I when I lived in Dallas just for the six months and I was still breastfeeding my daughter. And I was just like looking for a black breastfeeding event. Yeah. Dallas never had a black breastfeeding event. So I was like, all right, me from New York, you know what I'm right. saying? You know, we're like, I'm going to hustle. I'm going to make it happen. Let's yeah. do it. In a month's span, I collected some people and people helped me to, to make it happen. Yeah. In that process of making it happen, why has to be a black breastfeeding week? Why, you know, can we come? You know, and I'm just like, but this is the problem. There mm-hmm. is a deficiency of why black people need to breastfeed our children, why we need to learn and be in safe spaces to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I even got backlash from my supposed like kinfolk same color, but you know, we got it was just on them too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just got to break with the system has taught them. It's all right. It's all right. right, right. <laughs> they, they still not colonizer. My, my right. But, um, <laughs> But uh, so it's just it's just been interesting. But I have to also remember the history of Texas or the South. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when when we received our supposed freedom, the South didn't realize it two years later. And it, right. it, it's very evident in how um, people function here that mm-hmm. I noticed. Um, and uh, like there's literally in in Dallas, there's only three black midwives in Dallas. There's only three in um, Houston, Mm -hmm. but only one has her own birth center. Okay. There's only, that I know of in Austin, two. But one is not catching babies anymore, and one is. Um, San Antonio, there's only one. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's a CNM that does home births. Um, it's like you know these things, and you know that there's there there's not a lot. But every time like a number is put on, and you think about like how big places are, you're just like, right? How? 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 How, how is that possible? Yeah. And like how how much that that is unfortunate for us who want those experiences, right? <sighs> so, I mean, there are women that are coming out the woodwork. Right, right, are, right. Yeah, absolutely. like a lot of sisters reach out to me. They're like, I want to become a doula. I want to become a midwife. And yeah. I'm just like, great. 
I'm just gonna let you know it's not glamorous. Right, right. You know, like, that and too. that's just the reality. Right. So yeah. um, I didn't realize the 2% until I moved to Texas. Mm-hmm. Because again, I'm, I've, I've, I'm from Brooklyn. I've lived right. in Philly. I've lived in Boston. So I've always been surrounded by conscious aware people, mm-hmm. black people, communities and stuff like that. So when I moved to Texas, it was a whole different ball game. Yeah. And just... Yeah, it was just it was just a whole different ball game, and um, it made me more hungry and tenacious to be even more of an advocate about midwifery and birth work and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so the experience now is that once again I'll be relocating. <laughs> um, I'm not sharing yet with okay. where yet, <laughs> um, but. In the coming year, I'll be relocating to a place um, to be able to get my numbers. Okay. Like, and um, I hope by by 2020, I'll be a midwife. Isn't that like... I'm putting it in there. Isn't that... Isn't that sci-fi-ish? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it 2020, is. 2020, 2020. <laughs> midwife. Like, <laughs> so sci-fi. Um, oh, yeah. Um, so that's the goal, and um, and we're relocating. And it, it hit it. Ironic, it's so ironic that I'm having this interview because to, today and yesterday I was kind of beating myself up because um, I'm 37. Next year I'm going to be 38. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a single mom, and I'm and I'm trying to create a career. And I'm just like, yo, I'm not young. I'm just like, like, yo, what am I doing? Like. Am I being a like good parent? Like, you know, cause I'm like, I want to give my daughter stability. Like if I was just, just by myself, I'd be like, yeah, I'm nomadic. I don't care. Like yeah. where are we going to yeah. go now? Like, you know what I'm yeah. saying? But now yeah. that now I'm a parent, I'm just like, whoa, like she's going to be five next year. I can't believe it. And I'm going to be yeah. 38. <laughs> I'm knocking on 40. <laughs> like, yo, <laughs> And that's real. Like, mm-hmm. so um, she's definitely my motivation. I want to be able, even if I'm not going to be able to enjoy um, the hard work that I put in, I want my daughter's daughter, yes. son's children yes. to yes. enjoy it. And yes. that's why I'm, I fight so hard and I have yes. to make this happen. There is no other option for me. So my biggest um, motivation is my baby. And the other motivation is that there are black bodies being attacked. The black family is being attacked. Yeah. I'm sorry. No. If it's not women, it's our children. If it's not our children, it's our men. And I am, I want to protect that so much. Mm-hmm. I want to protect that so much. Mm-hmm. No matter even that my situation is not ideal and I'm a single mom. Right. Okay. And people ask me like, how do you even do that? Knowing that, that your situation is not ideal. You don't have a relationship, really have a relationship with the father of your child. It's because I've witnessed families um, at a young age. I made it intentional to have mentorship of families that were living to the ideal of what I want. That was the black family and that was beautiful black love and all that. Mm-hmm. So I know it's real and I know it exists and I'm never going to transfer what I've been through. Um, but flip it and use it as a yeah. tool to help the next person, yeah, you know? Absolutely. So 
I'm a huge, huge advocate about the black family. And it, and once we start centralizing the back black family, then we'll see a difference in our community. Yep. And that might, and that might call for us to be autonomous mm-hmm. really. But I think that takes a change in the mind frames of our own people to be like, okay, like we really need to like buckle down and really protect our community and mm-hmm. really make this happen and not be um, skeptic of our own brothers and sisters, but really like, you know what I'm saying? No, mm-hmm. I'm, listen, mm-hmm. not being skeptic, yes. but really like yes. getting together arm yes. to arm and really yes. building trust the community. In trust in us and our power right. and our strength and our stories and our experience, like just trusting it. Uh, yeah. Well, how can we as a community help you on your journey? Like what, what's going on? How can we help you? How can we support? I don't know. I try to, I try to um, make ways for people to um, support that are, uh, how you say, doable. Mm-hmm. I know it's infamous for somebody to have a GoFundMe and just ask for money. I have one myself, you know. Um, but I also have, um, I create t-shirts um that's thank you for your support um so that's one way people can purchase shirts from um my website well yeah my website which is connected to my instagram which is tiny and brave at tiny and brave and there's a link in my bio and they could click on that and purchase the shirt that goes towards that um they could personally hit me up in my dm and kind of ask for my paypal mm-hmm. um but then i like i said i have a gofundme that they can find on my website which is okay. tinyandbrave.com or if they just want like because i know some people are skeptical and they're like now nah, can i purchase something directly hey there's books there's supplies just ask me and i could shoot shoot you perfect. my little possible amazon or whatever <laughs> perfect and you could kind of purchase anything that i need um but um, currently right now I'm just trying to raise money to kind of relocate and kind of yeah. like, um, pay for my next yeah Woo, journey. I mean, so, as, yeah. I, you know, we don't like to say it, but this world runs by money and access to get a lot of things takes money. So, right. Right. You know. Right. Or just spreading the word. Or just, yeah. People can't even donate anything. They could repost or yes. share anything that yes. I, you know, post yes. up. Um, and we will, I will make sure that in the show notes, like all of that stuff is linked. So listeners, you will have that, like write it right there in the show notes to get to, but is there anything else you want to share resources, advice, anything else from your birth, just anything that comes to your mind that you want to leave us with? Okay. Well, if you're in Austin, Texas, um, one way that you can do is you can, like register for one of my workshops that's January 19th. Okay. That's also in my link, which is called the Afrofuturistic Birth Worker mm. Workshop. Yeah. So people could attend that and the funds from that, when you purchase your ticket, goes to me toward my midwifery education. Okay. Um, again, like I said, the shirts. Um, another thing is that um, if you uh, sign up to register to become a doula through DTI, um, you can get 10% of your registration, um, fee, um, when you, um, register to do birth and postpartum training. 
10% of that, you get 10% off by using the um, code DOPE, D-O-P-E. Okay. And then from that, a, a cer- certain percentage of that goes to me as well for my midwifery education. Awesome. DTI has been just an amazing help in trying to really help me raise funds too. So I want to give them a shout out. Yes, they're and our sponsors. Woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. I want to give them a shout out. And I'm trying to think. And if if there's workshops, like, listen, sponsor, sponsor me for a workshop. Like there are workshops that I would love to do, but I can't afford it, you know, or um, just reach out. And then there's other amazing women out there that are also on this birth journey. There's, there's um, F.A. who's um, yep. Doula Chronicles as well as, um, I say, Sassy. I don't know how, I don't even know how her, her <laughs> but it's one of her. I will link look, them. Okay, good. <laughs> there's Kai. There's, um, who else? I'm trying to think of everybody. There's Paige. I know. you. There's, there's, like, you know everyone. There's my girl, Denise. Yeah. There's my girl, Denise, um, who's here in Austin as well. There's um, amazing, amazing other sisters that are really trying to become midwives. Um, that if you want to support more than one person, hit them up, hit them up, hit them up. There, there's even indigenous, native, Latin women. Um, there's one called, oh, there's so much. I can't even remember. <laughs> but... So yeah, so that we're out here and we're really trying to make a difference and we're really trying to save our black families, our brown families, our red families, um, especially in an industry that is so highly white saturated, mm-hmm. um, especially in an industry that monopolizes yes. on other people's culture. Yes. Um, monopolizing on other people's culture and their resources. Um, we need to really cherish um, our culture, where we come from, and be more protective of it. Yep. Um, and that's not being selfish. No. You know, no. let's go back to the old traditions when things were oral and we protected what was ours. Mm-hmm. It could be as simple as rebozos. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like a, like a Latin culture thing, but who's, who's monopolizing on that? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, what? Um, but... <sighs> Or even just even like even the um, how you say the um, yoni steam. Mm-hmm. I saw that when I was back in New York with my midwife. When they, they just used the pot, and you had to you had to <laughs> you had to crouch over the pot and deal with the heat as much as possible as your clocks came out. Like now it's all fancy. You get herbs and packages <laughs> and seats and stuff. But you know, like uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so. Yes. Yes. So there is, I think it's possible for us to create an autonomous existence where we're caring for our own and still financially um, supporting our own. Absolutely. You know, where our funds rotate within our community 10 times before it exit like some other people, you know, I I really believe that that can happen. Maybe not in my lifetime, but I truly believe it could have foundation for it. That's yes. That's what, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Was there any other questions? No. I feel like I've been yapping. No, this was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with us, sharing your journey, um, sharing your knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. Just thank you. And 
We are proud of you. Huge, Thank you. huge fan. If that's what you whatever, <laughs> whatever. I'm just here. I'm just here to be available. And then if anybody ever has any questions or anything, just hit me up in my DM. Like it's, yes. it's if I can answer it, I'll answer it. If I can't, I'll direct you to the right place. Like you know. So, thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.